Hello, my name's John Coldham and I'm a director in the intellectual property team at Rag Lawrence Graham & Co. I'm joined by Martin Derbyshire, founder of Tangerine. Um, welcome, Martin. Thank you for joining us. Um, can you start by telling us a little bit about Tangerine? Um, Tangerine is a design consultancy. We have three offices. Um, we work in the areas of innovation, strategy and design, and we help clients to break new ground, um, develop new concepts, own distinctive spaces spanning from experiences through to physical tactile products that you buy and use in your life. Your, uh, your, your company has designed a number of things over the years, very different types of products for different types of market. Um, perhaps you could start by telling me um, a little bit about one of your most famous designs, which was the uh, yin-yang BA fully flat bed in business class. Um, what were the key challenges in relation to intellectual property um, from your perspective as a designer in coming up with something like that? And perhaps tell us a little bit about how you developed the product. Okay, so I think the, the most difficult thing um, will always be understanding what the value of something might be in the future. Um, and we work with very different businesses in different markets, and we try and guide different clients as best we can in terms of what the opportunities might be. But we'd always recommend they go and seek advice from an expert <laughs> because it's absolutely critical to adopt the right approach. So in terms of our work um, with BA, um, the, the, the most important thing we've learned from that is um, you know, the outcome and the success is so difficult to predict and the results can be quite surprising. And you need to be very careful about what you do to get things right. So um, I have to rewind back in time a bit and take everybody back to about 1998. British Airways then had reclining chairs in business class. Um, they were seeing the market declining. They were looking for a, a new concept that would help them transform their business. Um, we created a concept called Lounge in the Sky, which offers um, a lie flat bed for the first time in a very space-efficient format. Um, BA patented that, that with what's na now known as the yin-yang configuration. So it's a seat facing backwards and a seat facing forwards. So for the business or for the person traveling, um, that brings uh, for the traveler an emotional benefit. They're in their own space. They're in control of their time. They're not all facing forwards as they were doing on every other aircraft. And combining forwards facing and rearward facing gave the ability to to, to include eight seats across the width of the aircraft, which then protected the density. So we tend to use the term getting the perfect balance of density and desirability. At the point when it was launched, though, um, still nobody had any idea how successful it would be. Looking back, it's been phenomenally successful. It's protected density. It remains the, the profit engine of British Airways to this date, and it's helped them you know, really fundamentally protect the success and, and maintain their business. Had I have known that at the time, we might have approached the commercial side of our <laughs> arrangements with the client in a slightly different way from the way that we did. But um, certainly it's been fantastically good for us as designers in terms of building our reputation and growing our reputation. And we've certainly learned from that process and would do things perhaps slightly differently in the future. Okay. Have there been any instances, uh, so obviously BA were very good about protecting their rights on the, in their product. Um, have there been any instances of where you've worked with a client on a product which has gone on to be very successful, but a key component of the design hasn't been protected by IP? Um, yes, I, th I think that 
the example I've just given British Airways is similar in a way to it, to the example in working um, with our cl- client Pace Microtechnology. So again, going back in time, back to the late 1990s, Pace were becoming leaders in creating set-top box technology. They perfected converting analog to digital, and, and that enabled them to deliver content through the satellite or via cable. So they were an OEM manufacturer to a multiple you know, a, a number of providers of, of cable or, or satellite technology. One of their key partners, Sky, um, together with them, they created the idea of combining a set-top box with a personal video recorder, um, and through that created Sky Plus as a new technology. Um, I think in that case, their focus was, was always going to be on um, how do we create the right product, how do we create the right service, and how do we make it be successful, particularly as for the first time, because of the cost of the technology, they were asking customers to buy something rather than just subscribe to a service, which was a really important differentiator for them commercially. Um, Now, um, oh, sorry, and and then to pause, but the the key issue for us through the design of of the product was helping understand um, how the value of this device would become understood by customers and persuading customers that it was something that they were going to invest in and it was worth investing in. At the time, TiVo had been developed as a technology. It was moving from you know, video cassette recorders to hard disk-based storing. And even then, that product wasn't successful because people just weren't really aware of the value. They weren't familiar of shifting television in time and moving things around as we are now. Um, We developed the ring of LEDs, working with Pace, um, as a means of explaining to people that this box can freeze time. You can press pause, you can answer the door, you can come back, press play, and TV will have shifted a space in time. And it made it very obvious at the point of sale what the benefits of the product were. And and through doing that, through that simple invention, um, we were able to really unlock and be persuasive about the value and the uptake of the product in the end was phenomenal. And you were using the design to educate the consumers. Yes, absolutely. Um, neither Pace nor Sky applied any form of protection to that concept. They didn't consider at that point in time it was so fundamental. Sky now use it as a key component of their brand. It's totally, utterly interlinked with their brand. Um, and Pace, had they have protected it, would have been a much stronger position commercially um, with one of their customers in terms of you know, controlling their destiny in the future. So there's a key lesson in that. You know, the, the ideas that you generate are very wide in nature and the application, you, you really need to think hard about the diversity of application. That's very interesting. Um, the two examples you've uh, spoken about offer an insight into working with blue chip companies. But is IP protection only important for big corporations? What would be your advice to an entrepreneur who's trying uh, to take their product to market? Um, we certainly do work with a number of small companies. And an example that I'm referring to is actually working with an individual who still for his day job is a hairdresser. Um, he began life as a steel worker on the docks in Glasgow. Um, 
realised his career wasn't lying in that space, moved out of that, became a hairdresser, and through being involved in giving hairdressing demonstrations around the world, realised that there was a tool that could be useful. He created the first version of that product himself. He worked with a local toolmaker in Scotland. They developed a product. And over a five-year period, he he built up a pretty successful business, um, selling these tools um, off at the stands where he, where he was at haircutting shows. Um, the reason he decided to come to Tangerine was, though, because he was being copied and he wanted to secure greater differentiation, he wanted a wider product range and he wanted something different from the current product to extend his portfolio and secure his business. Um, in terms of protection, he did register the design of the original design in the US, in Mexico and in Europe. He didn't patent it, because, the, even though I think there were inventive elements of it, um, because the costs were just too high. Um, and over time, he's really relied on um, promoting his brand, developing his brand, trademarking the names that exist so that the people that buy it know they're getting a real one. And as he would say it, also not being too greedy about what he's trying to achieve and being careful to manage his margins. So using a careful approach to supply chain, selling through um, just a distributor network that he knows well and you know, managing the, careful very, the business very carefully. But certainly um, I think now that we have unregistered design rights, if you're trading just in the UK or in Europe, then you know, there are very obvious powerful ways that you can look to protect your design. Um, but still, of course, we would always refer people on to experts to get the best advice they can because it is a very complex space that we're trading in. Um, you know, so my advice there would be: you definitely need to talk to experts about what you're doing, but the and the, but the type of protection that you might need and that makes it relevant you know, can be very varied and, in some respects, unexpected as well. Martin Dobsher, thank you very much. Pleasure. I hope you found this podcast useful. We've produced a guide aimed at the non-lawyer, all about the design's lifestyle and the different considerations at different points. Please contact us if you would like a copy or visit rag-law.com forward slash designs for life. Thanks for listening.